Hello and welcome back to the Plugin for More podcast. We hope that you had a refreshing and meaningful holiday season. Mike, Bryant, and I are taking a short break over the holidays and gearing up for season two of the show. We've also been ramping up our offerings at EV Universe. If you haven't had a chance yet to go to the EV Universe website, it's www.eveuniverse.com. The site has thousands of electric vehicles for sale and a host of parts that'll outfit your EV. We're also adding new resource content to the site all the time. It truly is your one-stop shop for all things related to the electric vehicle. This week, we've chosen to replay an older episode worth highlighting again. Uh, This episode is on charging your EV at home, and for the vast majority of us, this is the only charging we're going to be doing. In this episode, you'll hear me referencing ordering my Mach-E, which, going on nine months later now, I'm still waiting. Uh, Good news, though, according to Ford, mine has been shipped and could be here any day. We want to thank you again for being on this journey with us, and we look forward to bringing you big things in 2023. Please enjoy the show. Welcome to Plug In For More, brought to you by EVUniverse.com. EVUniverse is your one-stop shop for all things related to the electric vehicle. Here on this podcast, our goal is to educate, inspire, and hopefully make your transition into the electric vehicle marketplace a lot less intimidating. And now, here are your hosts, Mike, Tom, and Bryant. Welcome, gentlemen. Podcast number five. Big news for me. I uh, placed my order for a Mustang Mach-E. Woo! What did you get? Can you dive down into the specs, color, options? I want to hear it all. Man, so right now... At the time of recording, we are March of 2022. Now, there's been a handful of options available for the Mach-E from the Select to the Premium to the California Route 1 and the the GT version. Right now, Ford has limited your availability to order to either the Select or the GT. You can't get those other two like mid-tier premium options. So I ended up going with the Select with the Comfort and Technology package that is the essentially the base model with the upgrade that gives you the blue cruise and heated seats, heated steering wheel, power lift gate. The select doesn't give you the extended range battery. So with the all-wheel drive, I'm going to be looking at like 224 miles of range on that particular battery, which may not be ideal, but for what I anticipate doing for driving, I'm way good with. I don't plan on doing a whole lot of long trips. I'm not going to be going out of my area. It's just going to be stuff to and from the general area where I live, you know, no more than 100 miles a day. I really liked the idea of the GT being able to jump up to the 270 mile range with the more power that would get you that zero to 60 in 3.8 seconds. But the price difference between what I chose and what I would have gotten in the GT was about $15,000. And for that $15,000 increase in price, the extra 50 miles in range and second and a half of zero to 60 time didn't really seem like a smart use of resources. The only other thing that I'm missing that I really would have liked going from the select to the GT is the availability of having the big panoramic sunroof. But that's you know a $1,500 option on the GT as it is. Sure. I mean, one thing I noticed with my Model Y with the large sunroof is I'm staring out the windshield the whole time. The kids like it in the back seat, but it really doesn't affect me. I mean, I really, I rarely look at it. So I don't think you're missing much. My current vehicle has has the big sunroof. I love it. 
I like having the sun hitting my head, feeling it above me. It, it just, it's cool. But as I've been reading more about the Maki, because classic Tom, I go and order something and don't really understand what I'm buying. And then I research it after the fact. I'm looking at it and there's no built-in sunshade. Like they have the sunroof in this car, but there's no factory sunshade from Ford mm-hmm. on it. You have to do that aftermarket, which I thought was kind of odd, but. That's, that's the way they're going these days. I mean, that's the same thing with model the Model Y. Um, the X really didn't have anything that had a sunshade with that huge front windshield because we had a, a Model mm-hmm. X for, uh, as a 2017 100D, and that was sort of a Tesla after sale product for that windshield to block some of the sun. But that second row, which had... I don't even know what, how to describe it, but you guys were both in the vehicle. It's those windows that are on the roof, but they're part of the Falcon wing doors. Mm-hmm. So the second row doors. And um, there's really nothing available that I've seen for that. Maybe there are some aftermarket, but for the most part, there's nothing, nothing either. So Tom, the biggest thing is don't tell my wife because we talked about last podcast. It's a, she wants me to get, so that's a secret. And, uh, <laughs> when when are you getting this when are you getting it the dealership is saying six to eight months um the ford website if you look at it is saying 20 plus weeks so five months um i've been following some of the maki owner groups on social media and there's people that placed orders in september that are just getting deliveries now so that tracks but there's people that have placed orders in january whose vehicles are getting built right now so it could be sooner. And my my understanding is that Ford has limited the order of those other trim levels in order to focus on production of the select tier and the GT tier. So my hope is that it'll be quicker just in that Ford has reduced the volume of vehicles available to order. So I've got a question, Tom, because it seems like this is always something that you personally deal with is, um, did your father by chance uh, order one too? Because he likes to copy you and we know how this goes. So please tell me he, he didn't copy you this time, or maybe he did. It was real close. I mean, I got, I selected the iced blue silver as my color choice. He went and picked the red version of the same exact model car options yep. and all <laughs> of, now, course, of course he did now to be fair he didn't get the bright orange which honestly that would be his typical choice so he did go a little bit more subdued than normal but this has been more of a taunt to my mother than anything because she tries not to spend money on new vehicles and my dad's always trying to so it was just a matter of time and they were already probably closer and more on board of ordering one prior to me going and doing it and then once i did it it was just kind of sealed the deal for my dad then you guys same day probably too knowing your dad within hours yes i think i sent the text message saying hey i ordered mine where are you at with yours and it was like two hours later so like he probably got my text message and drove straight to the dealer and says well i can't be that far behind him he's got his coming now the battle's on to see who gets theirs first so when we're looking at like the Model X and the Model Y, Tom, you know, as far as those aftermarket um, accessories, um, one of the things that's nice with the Rivian, if you haven't seen it before, but they have the electrochromatic r- sunroof, which is essentially just push a button and it'll automatically change the the color and block out the UV light and just the overall light coming through that sunroof. I think is that's cool. 
that's what some of the, I think, Mercedes and some other high-end manufacturers are doing currently. Hmm. So it's a pretty cool car. That does sound really cool, and it might be the only cool thing that Rivian has going for it. Ooh, shots fired. No, I, I, I've followed Rivian. I, I've seen the pictures of the car. I finally saw my first one on the road the other day, and I was shocked at how small it looked. Like, I was thinking it was going to be on par, comparable with a full-size truck, and it's kind of like Ford Ranger Dodge Dakota size. Like, from outward appearances, passing it on the roadway seems too small to be any good of anything besides just, I don't know, might as well just be a car. Oh, boy. So I uh, I also saw my first one in uh, in yesterday, actually, in a parking lot, and I turned around and went and looked at it, maybe research it. I take the contrarian view. I think, uh, obviously, it's not as big as a full, full-size truck, but I think it's got some really cool features. It's got a locking tie-down in the bed, which is really cool, so you can lock stuff down, tie it down, and it locks. It's got an air compressor built into the bed so you can inflate, you know, your inflatables. It's got a flashlight built in and it's got that really cool, like hidden spot between the trunk or the truck bed and the, and the cargo space and the uh, bed, sorry, in the uh, cabin where you can put stuff. And so I think it's cool because it's gimmicky, but I think the gimmicks are actually really cool. Yeah. So it's our, our always ready to go. I mean, I saw one. Ooh, I want to say two, three months ago, um, and I got a chance to, you know, um, sit in it, um, play around with all the gadgets, that kind of thing, the gear tunnel, which I know Bryant, you were talking about that. That was that was pretty nice. And Tom, I'm surprised you don't like that just from uh, being a skier like myself and being able to throw all your gear in there and keeping it from rattling around in the back of the bed of the truck. Uh, it it fits perfectly in there, along with some extra room. Yeah. In the gear tunnel is a cool idea. I mean, I, the gimmicky things that Brian's hitting on, I'm like, yeah, like I get it. Like those are cool features. But like at the core of what I would want a truck to do is to be able to haul a sheet of drywall and some two by fours and get from point A to point B. And I don't see that bed hauling anything of any real substance. And like, great, it has gear tie downs, but like, how much gear can you really put in it? Yeah, I think that bed is it's a four and a half foot bed, so it's it's definitely shorter. You know, it's. It also has, I think, eleven thousand pounds towing capacity, which is which is nice. Sure. I mean, it does have. If you're taking it off road with the four motors, you know, you have one at each wheel. That will be able to handle things a lot better than a traditional four wheel drive vehicle would, in a lot of instances. I guess I'll, I'll put it out there this way: I am open to changing my mind. I'm just going to need Rivian to put one in my hands. <laughs> and if everyone wants to put one in my hands so that we can get a proper evaluation of this vehicle, I am humble enough that I can admit that I was wrong. But as of right now, I'm not a fan. All right. I think that's a, we all know what that is. That's a, that's a cry for help. And please help <laughs> um, drive a Rivian. I think that's what we're going for here. So um, I, I, I see the game and I think we'll, we'll see if you can, we can get one in your hands sooner than later. Cause I do want to see you change your mind for me after I, you know, sat in one, you have to uh, play with all the, the gimmicky stuff as, as we're calling it. I mean, I think it's a, it's a well put together truck. I just don't think they're going to be able to make as many as they need to. And I think that's one of the reasons their stock right now has been declining quite a bit is they're having a hard time with production ramp because it, I think Tesla proved it. Uh, that's a very hard thing to go through. And I think they're seeing that right now. Yeah, I think they, I think they limited production to 25,000 or target 25,000 trucks this year, which is pretty small and i think they only delivered less than a thousand last year like high 900s so the fact we're seeing them out in the, in the wild 
is kind of cool to see because they're pretty rare to see. Um, but you can't forget the the cool gimmick is the uh, hydraulic suspension, which I think shares with the McLaren is the only other cars that have a hydraulic suspension. I think, yeah, the uh, particular architecture of it, but it can lower and raise, I think it's six and a half inches, which is pretty crazy if you think about it. So you can go off-road and you can raise it all the way up. And then if you want to be efficient or, you know, just more around the town driving, it can do zero to 60 in 3.1 seconds. I think it's quarter mile and 12 and a half or no, Mm. might even be faster than that. might be 11 seconds. It's a, it's, I mean, it's a downright fast vehicle, let alone truck. And I can completely acknowledge that some of my perception of this is partly joking, but at the same time, I look at that truck version and I see the Jeep commander in stature and size, mm-hmm. which again, I kind of shake my head at so that maybe I am prejudiced against it just from that standpoint. But I, I look at Rivian and what you're talking about, as far as the tech and the structure and, and the build of it, like I have no doubt that it's quality. Um, I look forward to the SUV version, was it the R1S. I yep. think that is going to kind of be one of its own and probably be the vehicle that makes it. I think that R1S is the one that's going to sell more, frankly, because it's it has so many, um, I would say, traditional benefits over the truck just because of the size. It's not too big. It's not crazy large. It's not small. It's going to be three rows. It's it's very, very nice on the outside, but can handle off-road. Um, it reminds me a little bit of a Land Rover in that respect as far as the market and what they're going after. Yeah. One, one thing about Rivian that I think drove a lot of people a little bit batty recently was the the price increase that came out of nowhere, um, especially for previous reservation holders such as myself when they um, increased the prices. For a lot of folks, it went up 10 to twenty thousand dollars i mean it was a massive massive increase and yeah. for people who had already put down a thousand dollars and waited a few years that was kind of kick a kick in the teeth i don't think a lot of people liked it um and i think within what was it 24 hours or so everyone received all the reservation holders received an email from um, the ceo saying hey you know we made a mistake retracted it and it's going to honor the pricing for the people who are already reserved their vehicles which i think was the right move You're listening to the Plug In For More podcast. If you're looking for information on electric vehicles, electric vehicles components, or information on how to reduce your carbon footprint, look no further than EVUniverse.com. EVUniverse.com is your one-stop shop for all things related to electric vehicle. So let's jump into our, our segment here, what we came to talk about, which is the home charging and what it takes to get that set up. Now that I've ordered my Mach-E, I'm thinking about, hey, I need to have a level two charger at my house. I've started to research to a degree on getting an electrician in to help run a 220 outlet into my garage so that I can hook my level two charger up to it. Um, I know that has to come from the panel and run lines into the garage and that'll be fine. We'll get it taken care of and get that done. Where I'm hitting a little bit of a wall is what level two charger do I want to go with? There's a bunch of different brands. Ford has their own proprietary one that they're selling, which of course is more than anything else on the market. Do you have any ideas, Mike, on focusing where to go for a level two charger? Regarding our chargers that we have, and and Tom, you've seen them at at my house, we have two different ones. One is a J1772 adapter. That one is an old Mopar, which I believe is a charge point charger that I use um, to charge not only Tesla's, but also the original Tesla Roadster that we have. Mm -hmm. Um, I flip back and forth. That one is just a 
very easy small adapter that you put on if you're going to charge either J770 or 1772 or a Tesla um, vehicle and you'd have to put on just the Tesla adapter it takes two seconds it's not a big deal yeah, that wall connector doesn't charge it quite as fast as the Tesla um, but that's more just my own personal setup as far as what are what's the amperage coming off that the panel it's it's 40 versus 50 for the the Tesla charger that we do have if you're not going to play around with checking your phone and changing certain parameters on the charging and you don't want you know Wi-Fi capability within the within the charger it's just fine to get kind of a, I would say quote-unquote run-of-the-mill wall connector that's gonna save you a couple hundred dollars um, as long as it's URL rated that's fine or UL rated it's that's not a big deal the Tesla ones, um, they can charge a little bit faster. So if you are really going through a lot of battery every single day, and maybe you only have you know, four to six hours to charge versus seven or eight, you might see a little bit of benefit there. Um, or if you want to have the Wi-Fi um, capability within that wall connector, you know that's something you can look at too. It's it's really uh, splitting hairs, and frankly, it's hard to go wrong with any of them as long as set up appropriately within your garage sure i don't think it's going to make a, a bit of difference frankly unless you get one that's you know really cheap or that the cord is something that's really short that's something else to consider too is more you put in the garage versus where the charge port is for your car right. i always recommend getting the lo longest cord possible because you never know if you need to charge while your car is outside or um, if you get a different vehicle, if the charge port's going to be on the front of the car versus the rear, um, those types of things, or if you have a really deep garage and you need to, again, charge um, at one point versus the other, to me, that's the biggest factor. Okay. So, like, I've seen a lot of the chargers that have, like, smart features, which they call them smart features. I don't know exactly what each individual one is. As far as my specific vehicle that I'm going to be getting is concerned, I'm learning that it has those features built into the vehicle. And that the best case for me is just to get your basic, like, entry-level simple charger that runs on the 48 amps and just buy that and let the car handle all those smart features instead of trying to duplicate efforts. Yeah, I mean, with the smart features, that's the reason. I mean, I've got the third generation Tesla wall connector and it works great, but I don't use any of the smart features because the okay. car has them themselves. Right. If you are going back and forth between um, you know, allowing someone else to use your car charger let's say you own an airbnb and you have an you have a, a wall connector there and you want to be able to charge for the people who are staying there versus not and it's out you know it's, it's outside then you can dive into those smart features where it makes sense mm -hmm. do you want to use sort of a passcode to let it you know sure. charge other vehicles or not lock people out but that's a different application i think for the vast vast majority of people like right. yourself like myself Bryant, whenever his Q4 e-tron would ever show up. It's in the bottom of the Atlantic. Yeah, unfortunately. Don't want to talk about it. <laughs> so another <laughs> thing with the home charging that I've learned about since having ordered the vehicle that doesn't often get talked about, everyone knows about the tax credits for certain electric vehicles, but my electric co-op um, that services my home offers rebates and incentives for electric vehicles. So it's there's an, a $1,000 credit 
just for buying an electric vehicle that replaces a gas vehicle. And then they give another $500 credit for the purchase and installation of a level two home charger. So after I have bought my EV and had my home charger installed, I'm going to send them proof of purchase of both of those things. And I'm going to get a check back for $1,500 to recoup my costs of that installation. Something to look in at your local, your electrical company as well for that. Yeah, that's something that's really key too. I think when you add up all the costs, uh, especially the cost savings of of an EV, Mm -hmm. if you're in an area that has maybe lower electricity rates, you know, you can get some of those specific rebates, not only the the tax credit, you know, there's $7,500 tax credit for some of the EVs out there. Tesla doesn't um, qualify them at this time anymore. You know, the, the Ford, I believe, still does. You know, it can really, it can really add up and you can have some yeah. nice savings there. Unfortunately, in my area, we don't get any tax credits for the installation of a level two charger or purchase of an electric vehicle beyond, you know, the normal federal tax credit, nothing statewide at this point. So Mike, I have a question for you. Obviously, Tom's going to have his charger at his house, probably in his garage, like we're talking about. What are the pros and cons of keeping it in the garage versus out of the garage? Can you literally charge your car outside in winter and the rain? Like, is there any problems with that? Yeah, I mean, that, that's completely fine. I mean, the main thing is just to make sure that when it's hardwired, it's hardwired for outside. But you can, a lot of people just put their wall connector on the outside of their garage and keep their cars outside. That's perfectly fine to do. Some people do recommend that if it's in a thunderstorm, you think you're going to have lightning strikes, then you might want to consider unplugging your vehicle. So if you have um, a surge protector, a home surge protector, I think that might cover it. But again, I'm not an electrician, um, but those chargers, wall connectors are made for outside. What if you're living in an apartment that doesn't have a charger? What would the logistics look like of owning an EV there? So that's a really good question. And Obviously, it depends on where you live and um, what the regulations of, let's say, if it's an apartment building or a um, condominium. I have heard of a bunch of people asking apartment complexes to either put in charging stations within their parking structures, or if it's a condominium, them being able to hook up their own level two charger within their garage space and then paying for it or having the condo association pay for part of it. So there's combination there. Other than that, if, you know, let's say you're more transient, you're going to move more frequently. A lot of people just go to superchargers like once or twice a week, depending on what their driving habits are. It's not as ideal as it would be, of course, if you own your own home. People do it all the time. I'm curious. I know you've done a lot of road trips. I've seen more hotels have a few charging stations. Have you seen availability of hotels to have charging stations when you were traveling or did it not matter? You just parked and you know you hit a supercharger on the way up and it didn't matter to charge it overnight. It really just depends on kind of you know where you're going, what the exact logistics are of that trip. But for the most part, um, we just went on a normal route. And then if we needed to stay at a hotel, we'd charge when we needed to anyways. And then if we slept at the hotel and there wasn't a charger there, you're not going to lose that much charge overnight anyways. You get up and you continue your trip. Uh, we have stayed at a, a number of them that have chargers there. Almost every one of those had a supercharger at the hotel, which was nice, but I just plugged in. We unloaded our car and got set up in the room. And by the time we were done with that, went out and unplugged and it was ready to go. It wasn't really necessary for overnight. If you're in a more rural 
spot or someplace that's far from a supercharger, those destination chargers, which are your level two, which is going to give you a full charge usually overnight or in about eight hours or so. Those are going to be perfect um, for a hotel situation. But the superchargers, it's almost too much. I, I, when I say too much, it's you're, you're not going to leave your car there overnight and take up that spot. Last question. If if Tom put in, so he's, he's got a Mach-E, he put in his level two charger and then he hates the Mach-E and he's going to get a Tesla, would he have to get a brand new, completely different charger? No. Um, and that, this doesn't go across the board. I'm sure there's there's exceptions to every rule. But um, just like what we have with our uh, J1772 a wall connector charger, um, it's just a very small adapter. It's about you know, three inches in length and about you know two inches wide. It, it usually costs anywhere from like I think thirty to fifty dollars for that adapter. But yeah, that's not going to make a make a difference. So, got it. Realistically, I anticipate ninety nine percent of all the charging that I'm going to do with this car to be done on my home charger. Yeah, and I've been trying to explain it to people, you know, as far as the cost goes of breaking down. These are going to be rough numbers, so don't get a calculator out and fact check me. But like my electric co-op is twelve cents a kilowatt hour. You know, I know that to fill up the battery on this car that I'm getting is going to be roughly like eight dollars. On that exact topic, so the latest update to my Tesla app now has charging stats. Mm. When I was looking at this before, this is. A great feature and i think this is exactly what you're talking about and i'll send you both screenshots of this so you can see it what it is for me but what it does is it not only looks at what's the total kilowatt hours so how much power that you actually used in the last 30 days it gives you how much was spent i didn't drive very much it's only 240 kilowatt hours which is kind of like two tanks of gas we spent 29 dollars doing that this month this month wow. okay so two, like two tanks of gas, so like 600 miles or so is what that is. So it's spent $30 to go 600 miles, which is pretty crazy. Um, and then it gives you gas savings. So gas equivalent, I don't think this takes into effect. Um, it doesn't say exactly. It says it's based on gas prices in North Carolina right now. But again, Tom, with what you're saying, I've got the actual stats, which is you've done the math before you got the car. I got the car and I got the stats. Um, and I'm assuming you'll have probably something similar to that with your Mach-E. If they don't already, they hopefully will in the very near term. Because um, I think this is useful, especially when you're showing others. And that's kind of the big takeaway, because I think there's a misinformation out there that it's going to cost more. There's somehow like a hidden cost to electricity that the car is going to cost more to fuel it on the road than it does a gas vehicle. For me, I know that it's a 70 kilowatt battery for that Mustang Mach-E. I'm at $8.40 from 0 to 100% to fill that up. And to run the same mileage in my 5.7 liter Dodge Ram, I'm looking at $61 in fuel to do that same amount of driving. Like it's like you said, it's significant. I, I, I look forward to that savings. You do have to factor in, of course, the installation of the of the charger. It sounds like with you, you have that rebate that should cover the vast majority of that without any problem. I didn't have that, so I had to factor that into my cost for a couple of years. I mean, it's not even close at this point because I'm not paying to install another level two charger. Yeah. Should be good. And then as soon as I get that Mach-E, I'm going to drive it over to Brian's house and show it off. <laughs> yes. Because Brian's wife wants one. 
She's gonna beg. She's gonna beg you if we can sell this house. So just go to Fox Motors now. Order your car. It's there is no commitment. There's no deposit. You just go in there and say, "Hey, I want to order this car," and they order it for you. And then when it comes in, if you don't want it, you don't want it. It's a good point. But at least you're you're six months ahead. I mean, it's a good point. My my Audi dealer texted me and said no update, <laughs> which is supposed to be an update in March for an April potential April car. So I think to your point, if I put an order now, I'll probably get it way before the Q4. I can almost guarantee that. So let's <laughs> let's let's talk about that for a bit. You know, I know both of you are in the market for an EV, but for the listeners out there that you know they want to get it in, in one, they're not sure. You know, should I order one? Should I not? Um, I guess I'll tell everyone what I've been doing is any vehicle that I think is there's a chance that I might want it, I order it. I spec it out and I order it. You know, it's either from a hundred dollars to a thousand dollars, which is you know a lot to have down for a vehicle if, if you're talking a thousand bucks to hold your spot in line but because the the lead time is so long on these if you think there's a decent chance you might want it and you might want it within the next two years it might be a good idea just to order it now because by the time you realize you do want it it, you might be waiting another six months or a year to get that vehicle it's not like normal times where you just go down to the dealership and pick up whatever you want and you talk about the money for the deposit most of them are all refundable to my knowledge yes I'm not aware of any that are not. Um, doesn't seem like there's a whole lot to the home charging. I mean, it, it is what it is. Pretty s- simple. Oh, I guess when we're talking about home charging, we should probably talk about the um, 1450 dryer plug. So, Tom, w- when you're when you're looking at a home charger, there's kind of two different options. One is the sort of the standard wall connector that will, you know, it's hardwired into your garage or whatever your setup is. The other option, which a lot of people also utilize, is using a, a dryer outlet. There's some benefits to it um, in that it's not typically as expensive because what you end up doing is there's a mobile connector that comes with, with each vehicle and you plug that directly into that dryer outlet in your in your garage. So you can use the same mobile connector and you don't have to purchase a full extra wall connector that's hardwired mm. into your garage you can take it with you and then if you you leave your house you sell it or apartment complex whatever it may be that plug stays behind and you take the the wall the um, mobile connector with you the downside of that is um it, they typically don't charge as fast and there's some debate on the exact cause uh, with electrical engineers i'm sure there's really no debate on the cause of the issues with those dryer outlets but if you plug them in and out all the time then you can have some arcing and then you can potentially cause a fire and that's obviously not a good thing many many people use those dryer outlets in their garages just fine Mm -hmm. especially if you just leave them plugged in with your mobile connector not a big deal i know elon musk has come out in in the past and said those are perfect that's all you really need just go and do it um however I have seen personally a few different um, instances of those um, uh, dryer plugs arcing, actually causing significant damage to the outlet, and luckily they didn't start on fire. And the reason I was told on these particular instances that they caused that is wall outlet, when you go and purchase one from, let's say, Home Depot or Lowe's or whatever it may be, they 
there's two different types primarily. There's a commercial grade, which is um, different type plastic that's more heavy duty. Um, just it's better built. It can handle the amperage for a longer period of time versus the very cheap, let's say ten or fifteen dollar plug. And those are the ones that are, I guess, not as good at being plugged in and out and may not be able to ha handle the amperage for as long of a time. So if you're going to use that dryer outlet, just make sure you get the good one, the commercial grade. Um, I know Tesla talks about that on their website, um, and I've seen it personally. So just do yourself a favor. If you're going to do it, like anything else, do it right. Okay. Thank you for listening to Plug In for More. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, check out the one-stop EV marketplace, eVUniverse.com. Until next time.